engaged stood for prayer, and let's uh, go to the throne tonight. Do you have any special requests? Well, of course, remember, pray for Brother Osborne, and he finds out more on Tuesday about his, uh, how they're going to treat his throat. Uh, do you have some requests? Yes, Heavenly Father, thank you, Lord, for this opportunity to bring all these needs before you. Realize tonight that we just need your help. We thank you, Lord, for what you've done for us already. We thank you, Lord, for the service this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your presence here tonight. And I pray, Heavenly Father, that you just remember each of these requests as they come in. You know the physical need. You know, dear Lord, each one, dear Lord, that has a, a physical need of any kind, we know that you're able to do that which we cannot do. Pray for Brother Osborne in a special way, Lord, as he goes through whatever treatments they prescribe. I pray that you just have your way. Pray that you just help with the choir as they sing tonight. I pray, Lord, in a special song. I pray, dear Lord, for each one, Lord, that's been requested prayer for you and our servicemen, Lord, in the line of our duty in our country, dear Lord. I pray, dear Lord, that you just help everything that's going on up there in Washington. You know your hand. It's so I pray that you would just undertake and according to your will, that your will would be done for our country. Oh God, I pray, dear Jesus, you'd help me preaching your word tonight. It might have free course. I pray, Heavenly Father, that you just continue to lead and guide and direct our church, dear Lord, to keep going in the right direction, to keep reaching out to others. And help us, Heavenly Father, in a special way this night, we ask in Jesus' name. Well, it's a good night to be in church. Amen. You prefer being here in church and down on the road stranded somewhere, don't you? Amen. By the way, did anybody else besides me notice that there's snow outside? Okay, good. Okay, forget that one. A few announcements tonight. Um, I'd like to remind you that this coming Saturday, January the 25th, we will be having the uh, Indy South train show over in the gymnasium, 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. Um, the, the information about that is in your uh, bulletin from this morning. Also, February the 14th, from 5 to 8 p.m., the NCS Valentine's Dinner. It is a fundraiser for the AC students that are going to be trying to go to international uh, convention in Thailand. First, first time. First time in Thailand, so they're excited about that. We would appreciate your backing and also your prayers for that. Sisters of Strength, uh, in addition to the retreat in April, there are many other fun and exciting events coming up this year, so uh, be looking in your bulletin for those, um, for those fun and exciting times. 
And uh, then also I would like to remind you once, once again that I did not mention this morning in the morning service about uh, Attorney Steve Shannon. His wife passed away this past week, just a couple days ago. If anyone one would like any information about the funeral, uh, see me after the church or Wednesday night. And if anybody would have a card that you would like to give to Attorney Steve Sharon uh, to express your condolences for he and his family, uh, you may give the card to either, either Rita or myself uh, Wednesday night or whenever you have that with you. The ushers are coming at this time, and while they're coming, I'd like to remind you that Wednesday night we have our Wednesday night service beginning at 7.30. Snow or shine, we will be having service Wednesday night at 7.30. Come and, uh, and be with us. Brother John Powell, would you lead in prayer, please?
chariots rumble, I could see the marching throng and the flurry of God's trumpet spells the end of sin and wrong. Regal robes are now unfolding, heaven's grandstands all in place.
Oh. 
there's a honeymoon. You know, because you don't know the guy or he's a celebrity and, you know, it's a big deal. And, you know, I, I, I thought, you know, we're not, we're not going to have any kind of a honeymoon at all because y'all been staring at me now for a long time. And so, you know, it's okay. I do, I do hope, um, I do hope the Lord will, will bring with this transition a sense of excitement. I really do. Uh, not just for you, but for me, for all of us. But what I don't want to see happen is um, uh, I don't ever want us to get back to, to, to where this is a personality, pastor-driven church. I don't want that. Um, I, I, I want more than anything else um, that this church is Independent Nazarene Church. It's not Don Bates' church. It wasn't Richard Grimion's church. That's right. Y'all yeah, remember, remember when Brother Hood was here? Well, where do you go to church? I go to Gene Hood's church. How many times did you hear that? A lot, right? Mm -hmm. you know? Well, I, I just, um, I've, never, I've never felt like, I don't care who the pastor is. I don't care if it's the Apostle Paul. I don't go to the Apostle Paul's church. Right? Amen. I go to Independent Nazarene Church. And I'll tell you something else I hope God can, can do for us. I, I hope God can give us a fresh love in our hearts for the church. Amen. One of the things that drew Amy and I to Independent Nazarene Church years ago was the extraordinary bond that this church had with each other. I've never quite seen anything like it. it. It was very much like family on so many levels. And that, that meant a lot to us. You all accepted us. You embraced us as, as part of the family. Some of you have, who have come here from other churches, you know what I'm talking about. You know how that, how that felt. And I know, I know with, with, with the changing of time and the, and, the, and, the, and the transition of people, invariably, you have, you have people that leave, you have people that come. We had, we had people that, that left when Pastor Grimion came. Um, we had people that came after, after, after Brother Hood was gone. And you, know, you always have that in that transition. And I know, I know the personality of a church can change. I know that. Um, we have a lot of new people. When you think about six years ago, if I ask a show of hands who was not attending here six years ago, it would be a lot of you, which is extraordinary. It's amazing how God has helped us. There are people who wrote the obituary of Independent Nazarene Church. But you know what God proved? He proved this is his church. Amen. God's always going to have a church. Amen. And I want to be part of God's church. Amen. And invariably, there are people who will no doubt write the obituary of Independent Nazarene Church now. But guess what? God's going to have a church. Amen. And I intend to be part of God's church if I can help it. And so what I want you to do is ask God to just help us fall in love all over again with Independent Nazarene Church. Would you help me do that? Um, I'm kind of sensing that. Yeah, I know we probably can't have a honeymoon. Can't take anywhere on a honeymoon, that's for sure. Uh, but... Uh, but I just believe that God wants to revive our spirits, revive our passion for his work, for his church. I sensed it this morning when the choir sang. It's been a long time since the choir has sung 
You don't know. I'm getting ready to tell you something you didn't know. Right now, the mics are not working in the choir. You didn't know that, did you? Because you really heard the choir this morning, didn't you? And I just sensed an excitement and a passion for the music that I haven't sensed from the choir in a long time. And it meant a lot to me. I'm going to tell you, I go home from church pretty well, wrung out. But when I know that God has helped us, and I know that God has helped you, and you've poured yourself into the service like I do, it makes all of the difference in the world as to how we worship. And so if God can just give us a fresh dose of love for him and his church and for each other, I really do believe that our, our, the days ahead of us could be our best days. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with each one of us following his leadership. And if we will do that, he will help us. If you believe that, would you say amen? Amen. amen. Michael, turn me up just a little more. I'm, I'm not, I have not yet gotten used to preaching all the time and singing all the time. It's a good thing you did not hear us down in Hope Sound because you would have known that, that, that pastor's voice was beginning to sound like a rock and roller. And I'm not a rock and roller. No, it wasn't quite that bad. But um, thank you. That's better. I'd like for you to turn again to Acts chapter 2. And... Uh, and while you're turning, I, I want to give a shout out to the Buckler family for being here tonight. Amen. They are uh, honorary members, and Brother Buckler is somewhere down in Kentucky. I think he might be headed back this way now, but um, he told me that they were going to try to make it today, and I'm, I'm, I'm glad you all were here. I want you to play a prank on Brother Buckler for me. Would you do that? Uh, you don't. You did not know this. I'm going to tell them, Sister Stacy, that his first name is Christopher. It's not Adam. And I jokingly said to him, wouldn't you love to be known as Dr. C.A. Buckler? And uh, so the next time you see him, I want you to say, Dr. C.A. Buckler, how are you doing? He's not going to have a clue where you heard him. But I play that joke on him. But I'm very grateful. Um, and Brother Buckler and I have been talking about, um, well, I'll tell you what Brother Buckler invited me to do. Brother Buckler invited me to go to UBC at the beginning of the school year and, and uh preach to the kids or take them out to eat or something and, and give them gift baskets and invite them to come to Independent Nazarene Church. How nice is that? Isn't that nice? That's nice. So uh, I'm going to take full advantage of that. But, uh, might be some preachers up north get a little ticked at me, but I don't care. <laughs> Acts chapter 2. I want to revisit... Um, a theme that I started a couple of Wednesday, a couple of Sunday nights ago, and I want you to again look at verse number forty-two, Acts chapter two, verse forty-two. If you found it, please say Amen. amen. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, and in breaking of bread and in prayers. And fear came upon every soul. And many wonders and signs were done by the apostles. And all that believed were together and had all things common. And sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need. And they continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. Did eat their meat with, their meat with gladness and singleness of heart. Praising God and having favor with all the people. 
And the Lord added to the church daily such as should be saved. I shared with you that I, that I wanted to, to talk to you about the ten characteristics of a New Testament church. The ten characteristics of a New Testament church. And I told you that that I would not get through this theme in one setting. It will probably be four or five or six or seven times that I will that I will preach this. I strongly believe that in 2020, God can help us be New Testament minded people. I believe that. Amen. I also strongly believe that God can help us be a New Testament church. Amen. I have a confession to make. I used to be a denominational bug. My father was saved in the Church of the Nazarene in 1969. My father joined the Bible Missionary Church in 1978. The general moderator of the Bible Missionary Church came to our house and stayed with us and we revered him as Catholics do the Pope. <coughs> I was ordained in the Bible Missionary Church on October the 7th, 1995. <coughs> I still have those credentials. I thought so much of denominationalism. I want you to know I'm not picking on denominationalism at this moment. Please do not think that. But I did begin to witness organizations that became extremely top heavy. More money was spent on overhead than for the work of the kingdom. In addition to that, every four years we had conferences that would rival what goes on on Capitol Hill. And somebody would come to conference with their pet peeve issue that they had worked into a motion. And we would gather at these glorious conclaves and debate these issues ad nauseum. And invariably we would leave that conference with one more rule passed that somehow was going to help us be better people. I watched as church politics began to become as obvious as worldly politics. When the board interviewed me Saturday, one of the questions they asked me was, what, what do you think one of the greatest threats is to the church? And it was a general question, not necessarily to independent Nazarene church. And I said these words, I believe the danger of legalism and lawlessness are equal. They are equal threats to the church. But I went on to say, as I wrote that answer, that I am afraid that worldly politics have become very much or church politics have become very much like worldly politics. And in too many cases, they've become one and the same. Right. 
And I witnessed that in denominationalism. I witnessed games being played. Deals being cut behind closed doors. People that they were afraid were going to get too much power become marginalized. Because that person might threaten their little kingdom. Let me tell you something. If you're concerned about your little kingdom, God will prove to you that at the end of the day, what matters is his kingdom. And, not your and I will tell you that one day I looked at my father and I said, Dad, I'm done playing politics over Jesus. I'm done. I don't mind playing real politics. I was shocked at how similar the two were. Because up until 10 years ago, I'd never been involved in politics. I took my dad to a political event and Senator Dan Coates and his wife was there. And what I didn't know prior to meeting them is that her grandparents were missionaries. No, they were evangelists in the Church of the Nazarene. And when I introduced her to my father, she looked at my dad and she said, let me ask you a question. Where did your son learn how to debate? He laughed and said, that's easy. He learned how to debate on the conference floor of these general conferences we've had. You see, there's very little difference. I told my dad, I'm, I'm over it. I will confess to you that the devil tempted me to delusion. You see, that can happen to us, brothers and sisters, if we're not careful. If we see a thread of worldly shenanigans in the church, or we view something as some political maneuvering, if we're not careful, it can jade how we feel about God and how we can feel about each other. And so I will confess, the devil tempted me to say, there's nothing to any of this. I remember sitting at a conference gathering of 1,500 people when a preacher stood up and preached and he mentioned something that only two people in the crowd was guilty of. Me and my father. And I will tell you, that shortly after that conference, I picked up the phone and called him. And I think he almost had a cow when he heard from me. <laughs> but I said to him on the phone, I want you to know I did not appreciate what you did. He didn't know what to say. Because you see, had he done what Holy Scripture says to do, if he had a problem with the fact that my father and I had gone to a presidential inaugural ball, he would have come to us directly and said, I have a problem with you. Instead of hiding behind a pulpit like the coward he was in front of 1,500 people and taking a shot at me and my father. Years have passed. I've fought back to that experienced Dennis Joslin many, many times. And I realized that I could have walked away from that conference and said there's nothing to any of this. 
But I didn't. Because at the end of the day, I hadn't fallen in love with the denomination. I had fallen in love with Jesus. At the end of the day, I wasn't called by them. I was called by him. At the end of the day, I had Trey and Blake who were watching me closely, who were watching every move that I made. And I had a solemn responsibility for before God to protect my family the best I could and do my best to get them to heaven. That trumped everything I had ever experienced. And I pray that will trump everything you have ever experienced. It was shortly thereafter that God gave me this sermon. And I began to reevaluate my life (laughs) and what I believed. And what I knew to be real and what I knew to be church politics and what I knew to be scriptural and what I knew to be somebody's opinion. That's a sobering moment to get to, brothers and sisters. A scary moment, you might say, to get to. And so God brought me back to this scripture. What really matters, what's really important. Yes, show me, O oh man, what is good and what doth the Lord require of thee, but to do justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with thy God. Amen. Amen. And so in this, I believe, is the blueprint for how God can help us be a New Testament church. We are a unique group of people. Independent Nazarene is unlike any church I have ever been part of. It's extremely diverse. It's extremely different on so many fronts. Not another church in the conservative holiness movement that I know of that has the good music that we have. We run the risk of Isolating ourselves from anything and everything that we think A could either harm us or change us or or bother us or or kick us out of our comfort zone. We run the risk of looking sideways at this one and that one, and yet somehow, and we've been, we sang this morning through many dangerous toils and snares. Let's admit it, we've been through many dangerous toils and snares, haven't we? And yet through it all, for whatever reason that I really cannot explain, God has simply chosen to smile on this place. God has simply chosen to pour his spirit out upon us again and again and again in ways that I can understand. Does that mean you agree with everything we've done? Absolutely not. Does that mean you're thrilled with every decision that's been made? Absolutely not. But what I do know is that God is here. And I want to be where God is. So what does it mean? If I embrace the thought that by the grace of God, I want to help lead a New Testament church. If you embrace the thought that I want to be part of a New Testament church, if you embrace the thought that I want to be part of a church that's doing the very best that it can to stay as close to anointed Holy Scripture as possible, then what's that mean? Where does it start? And I began by reminding you 
that first and foremost, a New Testament church is a spirit-filled church. It begins there. I mentioned to you that over 500 saw Jesus after he had risen from the grave, but only 120 made it to the upper room. I don't know what happened to those other 380 people, but they didn't make it. Somewhere along the way, they became disillusioned. Somewhere along the way, I'm sure some of them thought it must be a figment of our imagination what we saw. That might have happened. But 120 made it to the upper room. Brothers and sisters, I want to share two thoughts with you tonight about this thought of being spirit filled, because the bottom line is this. If God is going to help us be exactly what he wants us to be, it begins right there. Amen. Nothing else matters. I want us to have good programs. I want us to have continue to have good music. I want us to have a great Christian day school. I want us to have a great youth program. I want us to be, I'll tell you what my vision is. My vision in 10 years, you're going to think I'm crazy. That's all right. My vision in 10 years is that we're running 600. Amen. You say we can't fit 600 in here. I know we can't. But we have a big, beautiful piece of property right beside the school where we can build a church that seats 800. Amen. Now you think that's crazy. That's all right. I'm not mad, most noble Festus. That is my vision. That's my dream. I want all of that. I want God to help us in ways that we've never even thought possible. I want God to take us places we've never been before. But I have to tell you, if we miss one very key ingredient, none of it, even if it happens, it won't matter. Because the most important ingredient is that it's not by might, it's not by power, but it's by my spirit, saith the Lord. That's where it begins. And so I want you to understand tonight that if you are going to, if you're going to buy into embracing that I want to be part of a New Testament church, if you're going to say, God, help me to be the kind of Christian that the New Testament Christians were, if you're going to say, God, help me to do everything that you would have me do to do more for your kingdom than I've ever done before, then you have to ask yourself, where does it begin? Amen. And it begins with being a spirit-filled person. Amen. I have two points I want to share with you tonight. Um, and I, I got a little bit of a late start, but I promise I, I will not be lengthy. I'll, I'll hurry. I first of all want you to know that to be spirit filled is commanded. It's commanded. Amen. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 18 uh, gives us very clear uh, understanding as to why we don't drink. Now when I say drink, you know what I'm referring to. I'm referring to uh, Diet Coke. <laughs> Anybody here drink chai, iced tea besides my wife and twins? Oh my goodness, we need to give an altar call right now. <laughs> I have no idea why someone would like chai, iced tea. <laughs> Three extra pumps. I 
go with some of you to that little place called Starbucks and you order things that I can't even say and it's as if you're talking in tongues. <laughs> but Ephesians 5.18 is very clear. Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with Amen. the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Begins there. <coughs> Reality is this, brothers and sisters. We all have a divine, divine mandate from Holy Scripture that if we are going to be what God wants us to be, we must be holy people. It's not an option. Well, it's not that important. Well, you know, we've heard this preacher say you have to get sanctified and do this. And we've heard this one confuse it so much it's not even funny. And let me tell you what's happened. We have so convoluted the conversation when it comes to holiness that we have just relegated it to the back row as if it doesn't matter. And I'm here to tell you tonight on the authority of God's word that if you're going to be what God wants you to be, you must be a holy person. And so please understand that if I'm going to offer myself and you're going to offer yourself to be everything that God wants you to be, there are some basic requirements. And one is that I be a holy person. And that I be filled with the Spirit. And when you study the Greek rendering of the word, it implies that we're to be continually filled with the Spirit, which means more than just one or two trips to the altar. Although, brothers and sisters, don't think for one minute that I'm minimizing those trips to the altar, because we certainly must see those trips to the altar. But it means making sure that my life is filled with the Spirit of God. And I'm not just referring back to something that happened years ago, but that I'm reporting that the Holy Spirit is burning brightly in my heart today. And that's a command. That's not an option. We don't all have the same gifts and talents. We all can't do the same things. But we can all be filled with the Spirit. <laughs> we can all know what it's like. <laughs> Have the Holy Spirit <laughs> purge our hearts, yeah. make us clean, <laughs> and fill us with His fullness. Amen. Yeah, but Don, I don't, I don't like this, and I don't like that, and I want, I want to change this, and I want to change that. Okay, do me a favor. Let me give you a place to start. Be filled with the Spirit. Amen. Amen. Mm -hmm. I, I was, I was a teenager when I realized. You know that not everybody in the church liked my father. That's not a fun day when you, you know, when you. Let me tell you something. If you pray for anybody, you, you should pray for the preacher's kids. Because I'll tell you, they'll fight battles you don't know anything about. And many times the pastor's wife and the preacher's kids take the brunt of criticism that some people are afraid to level at the pastor, but they'll, they're cowardly enough to pick on a kid. 
I hope y'all say man, or I'm going to think I'm talking about you, and I'm going to talk to you after church if I'm talking about you. <laughs> we were sitting in the living room. Some subject or someone had come up, and I just kind of mouthed off and said, Dad, why do you, why do you put up with this? Why don't you just get out of here? You don't have to deal with this nonsense. My dad got real quiet, and then he looked at me, and he said, you know, it's been a long time since you've talked to the Lord, hasn't it? <laughs> he said, it, it's been a long time since you've really touched heaven, hasn't it? It smote my heart. And I went out to the park, and I climbed up in the hangout, and I started praying. <laughs> And begging God to help my rotten attitude. <laughs> and begging God to help me refocus on what was really important. Amen. You see, it's commanded, brothers and sisters, right. that we be filled with the Spirit. Amen. But secondly, it's conditional. It's not only commanded, it's conditional. I want you to turn to Acts chapter 19. If you read something other than King James, you'll, you'll, you'll get a, a different rendering of this, uh, of this passage of Scripture. This, this story is without a doubt one of the most doctrinally sound stories Amen. as to why we believe what we believe about holiness. Amen. In the King James Version, the apostles, Paul came to Ephesus. He found some disciples. And in verse 2, he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? The NIV says it this way. Did you receive the Holy Ghost when you believed? If you believe like the Baptists do, that you receive the infilling of the Holy Spirit when you get saved, then the NIV fits your, your mode of theology. And yet it doesn't. Because in reality, if you read it, have you received the Holy Ghost since you believed? Or if you read it, did you receive the Holy Ghost when you believed? Here's the bottom line. They had not received the Holy Ghost. Plain and simple. So interpret it any way you want to. They had not received the Holy Ghost. Paul said, how were you baptized? Well, we were baptized in John's baptism. Okay, well, let's tell you, we need to tell you about Jesus. John, listen, John preached repentance, right? Amen. But he preached repentance. Repent ye and be baptized. Jesus was not yet on the scene. You know, there are a lot of good people in the world who think they're doing all right. But I'm going to tell you, folks, if they haven't met Jesus yet, they're not ready for heaven. Amen. Amen. That's right. 
Have we baptized? John's baptism. Well, let, let us tell you about Jesus. Amen. Jesus. Jesus came to save you. And they were baptized in the name of Jesus. Read it when you get a chance. Amen. I'm giving you the chronological order as to what happened. And they were baptized in Jesus' name. And the apostles laid hands on them. After they'd been baptized in Jesus' name. And the Holy Spirit fell on them. Amen. Let me tell you something, brothers and sisters. You can't be filled with the Spirit until you have truly repented of every sin. Amen. Don't get the cart before the horse, brothers and sisters. I've known people who were seeking to be sanctified and what I wanted to tell them, but I could not tell them because I'm not God, is, you know what I think you need? I think you first of all need to get good and saved. And I will also say this. When you get good and saved, God will put a hunger in your heart for everything that he has for you. And we won't have to drag you in the light. We won't have to pull you along. No, there's just something about a hungry heart that says, I want everything God has for me that just says, I want to walk in the light. And when God radically transforms your heart and saves you and you hear a message on holiness, God will put a hunger in your heart to say, I want everything God has for me. And if there's another work of grace that he can do in me, that's what I want. And so being spirit filled is conditional. It requires true repentance. It requires consecration. I beseech you, therefore, brethren, Romans 12, 1, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. You know, one of the greatest challenges that people face when they're trying to surrender their will to God, I'll tell you what it is. It's allowing God to take control of their will. Amen. You know why so many churches have church problems? I'll tell you why. Because too many people aren't spirit filled. They want to have their own way. I'll tell you something else I told the board. I don't ever expect unanimous votes. I mean that. Folks, I've lost three elections. I don't I, I, I don't I don't I don't know. I can't I, I'm not I hope you understand how I mean this. I'm not I'm not reflecting on any other minister who feels this way. I know guys that have said if it's not unanimous, I'm not gonna take who am I to think everybody's gonna vote for me? Amen. I mean, really? I mean am I am I gonna be that arrogant that I think everybody is going to just say I've never, I've never felt that way, ever. I, I, it's not unanimous that I want. It's unity that I want. There's a difference. There's a difference in unanimity, and Brother Taylor came up with a better word, uniformity and unity. Do you remember when we voted on the pews? Somebody here still owes me a steak dinner from St. Elmo's for having to chair that meeting that night. I have never gotten paid for that. 
we voted three times. We started with two options on a ballot and somebody came up with a third one. And remember, we had to adjust our ballots. And I had to try to herd the cats and orchestrate and rope in the meeting. Got in trouble for doing that, and I was just trying to do the best I could. And we finally got to that third ballot where we finally decided on a pew, and we voted for the most expensive pew. Y'all are sitting on Cadillacs, you just don't know. <laughs> and when the vote was taken and it passed, it was only 5149. You can't get more divided than that. And you know what we did? People started pulling out their checkbooks and saying, who do I make the check payable to? That's unity. That's not me saying, well, I didn't get I didn't get my way on that. I didn't vote for this pew. I better not tell you that until next Wednesday or next Thursday. <laughs> I didn't get my way. I'm sitting up here chomping at the bit because I wanted to get out of a conference where I almost reverted back to old church politics. I wanted to get out and debate. And I had to sit up here and keep my mouth shut and clench my jaw. I wish I'd been chewing gum that night. You know, I couldn't do any of that. I didn't get my way at all. But I wasn't mad that I didn't get my way. Because there's a difference in being unanimous and being unified. And where people struggle spiritually, people who are not spirit-filled are dealing with self. That's right. And one of the greatest challenges you will face when you are seeking God is to get to where you're willing to surrender your will to Him. Amen. And you're willing to give Him everything. Your dreams, your ambitions. I called my sister this morning to tell her there was going to be an announcement made. She said, you know, that's really, this is her talking, okay? I'm not giving this as an endorsement. She said, you know, that's what you should be doing. She said, I've seen you around the old people and you help them and you, you know, you like people. That's what you're supposed to be doing. That's what God wants you to do, Don. I said, interestingly enough, it's the only election that I've never wanted to win that I won. <laughs> she started laughing. But until we get to the place, brothers and sisters, where we can surrender everything to Him. Amen. And He has our dreams. And He has our ambitions. Amen. And He has our wants. And He has our likes and our dislikes. Amen. And He has who we don't like and who we do like. And He has what our goals are for life. When we are finally to the point where we give every bit of that to Him, and we say, God, it is not my will, but it's yours that Amen. I want more than anything Amen. else. Amen. That moment of surrender, brothers and sisters, is what allows the Holy Spirit to do in your heart what He wants to do. But as long as you're holding reins, He can't do that. As long as you're in control, He can't be in control. As long as you're determined to do what you want to do instead of he wants to do, he can never have the right of way in your heart that he has to have if you and I are going to be the spirit-filled people that he wants us to be. 
brothers and sisters, if we're going to be a New Testament church, oh, Don, I like that idea. I bet there's a whole bunch of good points there that you're going to share. Yeah, there are. I bet there's a lot of good ideas that we could build on. Yeah, there are. But reality is this. It starts right here. <laughs> it starts with you and I saying, okay, how did the church on the day of Pentecost get started? How did they become the powerhouse they were? It started with the infilling of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And it's commanded, brothers and sisters. And it's conditional on you and I being willing to do what the Holy Spirit wants us to do. I just want us to stand. I'm not, I'm not going to give an altar call, but Lee and Jill, why don't you come and just play all to Jesus I surrender. All to Him I freely give. I will ever love and trust Him in His presence daily live. Just, if you want to just play the course to I surrender all. Can you do that? And, uh, and I want us to just sing it. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to begin to search your heart. And ask yourself, Lord, have I really surrendered everything to You? Is there anything in my heart that I'm still hanging on to that I should have given to you?